The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. I want to say welcome. We're glad you're here. Uh, I know in the summer, sometimes it's a hard time to know what to do with yourself, and um, it's a good place to come and meet people. So come find me, come find anyone on staff, and we'd love to get you connected. We'd love to get to know you. We'd love to answer questions you guys have. Um, so, welcome. Um, as I was saying about summer, I know for me, usually the year ends kind of chaotically and I have these big dreams for summer, how I'm going to, you know, just have these long, quiet times and, and really work on my faith this summer. And, um, but as the summer seems to come, lots of times I get distracted or busy or my mind turns to mush and sometimes it's hard to figure out, it's hard to think about things, it's hard to figure out how does God fit into my life in the summer. Um, so, but when I was reading the, the text that we're going to look at tonight, I got excited because, first of all, I feel like even if my brain is mush or not, what we're going to be talking about tonight applies. And this is stuff that I deal with every single day, whether I want to or not. And I think it's going to be stuff that you guys will relate to. Um, and also, it showed me just how much I need Jesus every day. Because I'm looking at this, the stuff we're going to talk about, I'm like, this is big stuff. And I can't do this by myself. Um, so those two things make me excited to talk to you guys tonight. Uh, tonight we are going to be continuing our sermon series on, it's Sermon on the Mountain. It's kind of what would Jesus say if he was talking to you. And this week we're looking at what would he say about community. What does he have to say about how we live in community? Um, so we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount, and this is the most preached uh, piece of scripture of all times. So... There's a lot in what we're going to talk about tonight, but we're just going to look at one little viewpoint from it. So we're not going to try and cover any more than a sliver. But what Jesus is talking about tonight is he's talking about how he doesn't want to have this checklist relationship with us. He wants to have a real deep relationship with us that transforms our heart and our motives because he cares about us and he cares about our community. What I mean by a checklist relationship um, my husband, Sam, he's here tonight. Um, if we had a checklist relationship, it might look something like, okay, I proposed to Annika, I said I do, I bought her flowers. Okay, we're good, right? That's it, that's the relationship. And for me, that would not be awesome. And I think all of us know that any relationship, friendship, roommate, mother, girlfriend, we don't want a checklist. And the same thing with God. But I think it's really easy for us to be like, okay, went to church, didn't drink too much, and I held a door for a stranger. So, okay, God, I'm good. But God wants, he wants something deeper. He wants something more. And, and that's what we're going to talk about tonight. So before we get started, pray with me. Uh, dear God, thank you for tonight. Thank you, Lord, for um, an air-conditioned room to hang out in. And uh, thankful for the sun, too, Lord. And just I pray that tonight as we look at some of the words that you spoke, Lord, that we, they would speak to us. Lord, and that you would specifically use my words, use the text, use the random places our brain goes to teach us um, what you want to say to us tonight. So be with us, be with me, speak through me, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to throw up the first chunk of text. And this is, this is when Jesus is talking, he's standing up on a mountain, that's the Sermon on the Mount, um, or a small hill, and he's talking to a group of people, and he says this. Do not think that I have come to abolish the laws or the prophets. Do not come, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, 
not the smallest letter or the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. So what Jesus is saying there is the law and the prophets, that's the rules and kind of the, the structure for how the people of God were supposed to live as the people of God. And so he's saying, I'm not coming to abolish this list of things to do. Kind of like, I don't want Sam to not propose, not buy me flowers, but I'm coming to fulfill it. I'm coming to show you what it truly means and show you the fullness of it. Because like a relationship, it, the flowers, it's not about the flowers. Even though you like the flowers, it's about what's deeper and what's more meaningful beneath that. And so that's what Jesus is saying there. I'm not coming to get rid of this law. I'm coming to fulfill it. And he goes on to say, um, you've heard it said that the people long ago, you, is there one other? Oh, I didn't put it up there. I'll read it from here. Um, it says, therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and the teachers and teaches others to do accordingly will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches the commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And what that means, it's kind of confusing, is Jesus is saying we can't earn our way to heaven. Even if we did all the perfect things, we had the perfect checklist, Sam and I, if he just follows checklists, we're not going to have a perfect relationship because there's about something more. So Jesus is saying we can't have this perfect relationship by following these checkboxes. And also, even if we tried, we would fail because we have sin in our life and we can't do it. And he's already, he's done that with the cross. He is, he's reconciled us into that perfect relationship. So Jesus is saying, stop wearing ourselves out trying to do all these things and lean into my grace and let me show you what a life following me really means. So we're going to look tonight at three different ways that, uh, three different examples of how Jesus is wants us to live our lives. Um, so the first one is talking about murder. He says, you have heard it said that the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the courts, and anyone who says, you fool, will be in dangers of the fire of hell. That's an aggressive little chunk of scripture. But what he's saying there is, I mean, all of us would agree we shouldn't murder. But Jesus is saying it's not about just this checklist of, okay, don't murder. I'm good to go. He's saying it's about what's, what's upstream from murder. And way far upstream, somewhere there was anger. And there was harbored anger. And Jesus is saying, I care about these deeper issues. And why I care about them is because they, they harm community and they harm you. And uh, Sam is a football coach. Bishop Blanchett High School. Go Braves. And so last week he had a, he had a football camp down in Olympia, and um, he coaches the linebackers. And one of the other coaches during the scrimmage was talking about his players, and so Sam got kind of fired up and was like, hey, you know, watch your own guys. And the other guy got kind of fired up, and they had a little tiff. And um, it was one of those things that was kind of small in the moment, easy to just, maybe it'll just blow over. But uh, they went, they talked about it, Later that night, went to his room. You know, they said they're sorry. They, they squashed it. They're good to go. And when Sam was telling me that story, it reminded me of this and just that, that you could easily see how something like that, that starts as this small little frustrating moment, can, could, if you just harbored it, could just start to fester. 
you know, and then next week at practice, this one says something, and then you're like, oh my gosh, you know, it gets bigger, and it gets bigger, and it gets bigger. And you could see how this tiny harbored anger could turn into something much more massive and destructive to not only their mental state when they're at practice, but to their team. And this is what Jesus is saying, and he goes on to say, It's coming. He says, therefore, if you're offering a gift at the altar and, there's, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift in front of the altar and first go and be reconciled to them and then come offer your gift. Jesus thinks this is a huge deal. He's saying if you're worshiping me and you, not only do you have something against someone else, but if you think someone might have something against you, like, go take care of it. Go squash it. Go, go work it out and reconcile. And this is hard. <laughs> this is not easy. This is not my first instinct. My first instinct is shove it down. Don't worry about it. It'll go away. It's fine. Um, but Jesus is, is making this a big deal. Um, and lots of times, and that, that example is kind of a smaller example, you know, more a trivial thing. And lots of times things happen to us that are awful and horrible and incredible injustice. And that causes this anger to be inside of us. And I'm reading this book by Dr. Fred Luskin. And he's this psychologist, he's a doctor, and he is fascinated with forgiveness, this idea of forgiveness. He's not a Christian, he's not a believer, completely secular, academic scientist. So he started studying forgiveness and studying the, the benefits of forgiveness, and he found these that both psychological and um, called physiological benefits. He found that people who practice forgiveness, their cardiovascular health increases, their nervous system health increases, they have decreased rates of depression. They have decreased rates of anxiety. They have more joy in their life. They have overall better health. And he was totally blown away by this and continued to be infatuated. And he even, um, like we were saying earlier, sometimes these huge injustices happen. He went to Northern Ireland where there was this huge war going on for a really long time. And basically it was neighbors killing neighbors. And he, he was working with these women, these mothers whose sons had been murdered. And if anyone has a reason to harbor anger, it would be an unjust murder of their son. Something that I can't even begin to fathom what that would be like. And he, he took these women and he worked with them through this reconciliation, this forgiveness seminars, and using all his scientific things as well, he measured all these different things and he found the same results as he had found in other things. He found their depression decreased, their anxiety decre decreased, their, uh, their, their health, their actual physical body increased as they practiced forgiveness, which is just mind-blowing. And when I read that, I, and I read this scripture from Jesus, I'm like, Jesus made us. He knows how our bodies work. He knows how our minds work. And he knows the things that will destroy us. You know, and lots of times I'm like, I have a right to be mad. I'm, you know, I've, I've harbored anger. And if I'm honest, I'm probably still harboring anger in small places in my life. And I feel like I have this right to anger. And it's like, well, I can hold on to that right, but it's going to destroy me and it's going to break down my community. And I've experienced both those things. And I've also experienced the other side of the coin, which is having those hard conversations or working through stuff and feeling the peace and the, I don't know, of like, of like you know, you have that conversation and you, you figure it out and you say you're sorry and it's, it's okay. And you feel, you feel that physical release. Um, and I felt both those things. So what I want us to do right now is just close your eyes for a second, uh, and just picture the community that you're in, maybe it's your family, maybe it's your sorority, maybe it's just a group of friends you hang out with, and just
kind of picture how it might feel different or be different if you practice that. If we were people that reconciled instead of harbored anger. I don't know if you thought of anything, but um, I think this would be very countercultural, and I think it would feel really different. Um, and so one thing we're doing, this is a little side note, one thing we're doing this summer in is we're, we're giving us chances to kind of digest what we're talking about as we go. So right now I just want, um, you can continue reflecting by yourself, or you can grab a friend or make a new friend, and um, we're going to spend five minutes answering this question, then we'll come back and talk about two more examples that Jesus has for us. So this is the question. Think of one time you've experienced reconciliation or forgiveness, and it's had a positive effect on either you or your community. Back. Um, hope you guys had a good beginning of a discussion. And maybe it's not enough time to really think about that, but that's something to think about. Um, and just to know that, that Jesus doesn't want just check, I didn't murder. He wants something deeper and more. Uh, the second thing Jesus talks about is another fun topic of adultery. So it says, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in, in his heart. And this is, this is another example of God doesn't want us to be like, oh yeah, God, we're good. I checked the box. I didn't sleep with anyone else's wife or husband. I'm good to go. He says, hey, what's, what's upstream from that? What is, what's going on in the deeper, what's upstream? And what's upstream is lust. And lust is something like harbored anger that I think we've all struggled with in one way or another. And another piece of lust is also presenting yourself in a way that you desire people to lust after you, if that makes sense. And I know for me in college, when we would get dressed up to go out, we didn't want people to be attracted to our personalities. That wasn't the goal of our thing. That was, it was a lot more like what he's talking about up there. And, and that's something where he's like, hey, that is, that is something deeper upstream. And that's something that I want, I want to talk with you with. I want to transform your heart and transform your motives because that is, because I care about your health and I care about your community's health. And I have these little pictures. So whenever I, I always see things in pictures. So the first thing is he just doesn't want a to-do list. He wants to know what's upstream because he cares about our health. <laughs> so whenever I say what's upstream, I'm picturing literally a stream. So you guys get to enter into my brain for a moment. Um, and one of the things with lust is it's something that objectifies the person. So God thinks we're these incredible creations. And when we lust or we make ourselves something to be lusted after, we reduce that thing to that person, amazing crea creation, to an object. And God doesn't like that. Um, and that also, that doesn't build up our community. That doesn't build up each other. And a, and a broader form of lust is coveting. So lusting is kind of the sexual connotation of coveting. But coveting is wanting someone's job, wanting someone's body, wanting someone's boyfriend, wanting that relationship, or if only was this. And this is something we probably do multiple times a day, is judge ourselves and want something else. And I know uh, I'm in a couple small group, and last week we were actually talking about coveting. And all of us sitting in the room were convicted of, yeah, I've wanted that relationship, or I've been jealous of this, or I've coveted this person's job, or I've coveted my friend's great body. Like, we've all 
we all sitting there were just convicted of it, and we were all reflecting on the ways that that had, that had taken away from the community that we were in. And below the surface, if everyone is lusting and coveting and wanting these different things, like you can see how that is something that's destructive. And I know in, your, in my own mind, it's something that is destructive. Because instead of being thankful and praising the Lord for these things or encouraging my brothers and sisters, we're tearing ourselves or our community apart. And this is something that is hard. And, and Jesus, but Jesus doesn't want just this checklist of, oh, I didn't commit adultery. He wants to know what's upstream. And he wants to transform our hearts. And, and it's something that, like I said in the beginning, like I am so glad that I have Jesus because I can't do this alone. And, um, and it's something that I, I want to be healthier and I want my community to be healthier. The last thing he talks about is oaths. And this is the message version because I think it's a little bit clear. And it says, And don't say anything you don't mean. This counsel is embedded deep in our traditions. You only make things worse when you lay down a smokescreen of pious talk saying, I'll pray for you and never doing it. Or saying, God be with you and not meaning it. You don't make your, your words true by embellishing them with religious lace. And making your speech sound, sound more religious, it becomes less true. Just say yes and no. When you manipulate your words to get your own way, you go wrong. And other translations say, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And this is what's upstream. What it's talking about is this big issue of integrity. Are you a person of integrity? And integrity builds trust. Uh, and this is something that you take a Facebook event as a trivial example. The yes, you can never count on the yes to be yes. You can never count on the no to be no. The only thing you can count on is the maybe to be a maybe. And this is a trivial example, but this is how our culture works. Our yeses don't mean yes, and our noes don't mean no. And there's this lack of trust in our communities. There's lack of trust in our friendships. Um, I'm a people pleaser, so it's really, it is hard for me to say no. And I'd rather be like, oh, maybe, because I don't want to disappoint someone. I don't want to hurt their feelings. I don't want to say no. But really, that's just being deceitful and being what's the opposite of courageous. Scared? Scared. <laughs> um, but I also have been the recipient of people being flaky and people's you know, saying yes and saying no. I still remember one day in college, I was so excited. Our friends were going to go on a little snowshoe trip for the day. And I was ready to get off campus. I wanted to go do something active and fun and be outside. And five of us, pile, you know, had all these pictures of how it was going to be awesome. Remember that morning, one by one, each friend texted me was just like, sorry, can't come. I have homework. Oh, I forgot. You know, everyone just had these lame excuses. And it was frustrating. It made me want to harbor anger. And it, um, it's supposed to be a joke. Because <laughs> we talked about harboring anger. <laughs> there you go. Thank you. Um, but it was frustrating. And it. And it sucks. And it made me frustrated towards those friendships. It made me feel like I didn't know, OK, next time I plan something, are people going to come? Or are they going to not? Even if they say they'll come. And it's just something that is destructive to our communities. And it's something, again, that we do all the time. And Jesus, he, so when he's calling us to do this, he wants to, he wants to work on these deeper things in our life because he wants us to be healthy, and he wants our communities to be healthy. Um, so all three of these examples are hard. It's hard to be people that don't harbor anger, but people that reconcile. It's hard to be people that don't lust or covet, but that bless and love. And it's hard to be people where our yes means yes and our no means no. Um, and it's hard, but, but as people of God, God's calling us to something higher and something greater. 
and he's saying, I'm with you, and I will, I'll do the work of transforming your heart. I'll be with you in all of these things. And he wants us to, to live into this life abundant. And I think some of that is, is doing these things and practicing these things is what living this abundant life would actually look like. Because as we've talked about, these things, they might be hard, but they really do destroy and break down community. And the opposite, when we practice them, they build trust. They build blessing. They build forgiveness and reconciliation and closer bonds. Um, so before we uh, end tonight, I have little papers for us to do a little self-reflection. So this is your don't just have a checklist relationship. This is your, um, your river, which I think kind of looks like a hairy arm. But <laughs> uh, And this is a Red Cross thing, so because God wants you to be healthy. So that kind of helps you remember what we talked about tonight. But what I want you to do is answer this last question. You're going to have uh, about five to ten minutes to write down self-reflection. You're not going to share these, so it's between you and God. So um, I'd encourage you to be honest. And the two questions are write down one example where you've succeeded in one of these areas. Maybe a place where you've, um, you've reconciled and you've sought after forgiveness or had that hard conversation. Maybe a place where you've kept your word when it was hard or kept a commitment even though it was hard. And, and the other one is a place where you've you know, blessed the people around you instead of coveted. So, um, and one last thing about anger and lust that the scriptures talked about was you get that instant, you might get that instant flare of anger, but it's talking about this harboring, this like mulling it over in your mind and in your heart, and same thing with lusting. So Jesus is, is not saying you have this thought in your head and you're this horrible person. He's saying, squash it. Talk to me about it. Let's get it out here. Not, don't sit on it and mull it over and think, it, think about it. So, um, and then also write down one area where you want God to continue to transform your heart. 